episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? Yo, we've seen my progression of hate turning into love for Russell Westbrook. It's finally crescendoed right now, and I'm all in on this guy. He's leading the Wizards to the promised land of the play-in tournament. I couldn't be any more excited, and like watching him every night is unbelievable. He might actually be our best player. I think he's actually better than Bradley Beal, which is insane to say for a guy who's about you know to be the league leader in scoring, but here we have it. Who, who would have thought? John who? You know what I mean? That's what I have to say <laughs> about it. Yeah, wasn't it just two months ago where you were more concerned about watching uh, John Wall and the Rockets? Than you were. I think about I was actively, the I was actively crying on the podcast when he got yeah. traded. But funny listen. how things change. But hey, look, I've been doing victory laps all year because of the Bucks, because of UCLA. This is your chance, man. This is. I mean, I know we're not there yet. We're not at the plane yet. But the Wiz are on fire right now. Take your victory lap. Come on, talk. So talk your it, shit. It is. It is pretty amazing, right, to see this turnaround. And then you look at a little bit closer, and a lot has been made of this, but. The team got shut down for two weeks, if you remember, in early January because they just were ravaged by COVID to the point that it wasn't even about guys sitting out. They had so many players out that that they didn't have enough to field an eligible team, right? So you're talking about essentially two weeks in the middle of the season, just not able to practice or play. Uh, They got off to, I think, a 3-12 and start. And since then, they've been, you know, 27 and 23 or something to like something to that extent, right? So this is more the team that we expected to see. I think the weirdest thing, and I might have mentioned this last week, the weirdest thing was that we ended up getting a version of them that was totally, you know, off of our expectations. But then we re-anchored to that. We re-baselined to the okay, this is the new, this is the new reality, and this team sucks, right? And now that they're playing well, it's almost like, you know, how how did this happen? Like this came out of nowhere, and it's like, oh yeah, they have Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal, and it's the Eastern Conference, and you know they had a little bit of a soft schedule, uh, they had a little bit of injury luck with guys missing games on other teams and all of a sudden they're sort of playing the way I expected them to and we talked about over-unders this was one of my lockovers because I was like how could you have a team with Russ and Beal not go at least 500 I put them right there in the mix with Atlanta with Toronto Um, you know things have shaken out a little differently from there but this is this version is as good as those teams and I think obviously better than Toronto but like could could had they played this way the whole year, you could see them in like a top six seed, kind of doing what the Knicks did almost this season. So what's been the catalyst? Uh, I know obviously they had that stretch in January where they couldn't even practice, like you mentioned, yeah. And their season was kind of derailed, and this has been a weird year for everyone. Yeah. But now that they're hot, they're streaking. They've gotten all the pieces together. I mean, there's guys like Daniel Gafford who've kind of emerged and are contributing, yeah. you know, big time. It's insane. It's truly what, insane what the, he's been doing. Yeah, but what do you think, outside of just Russell Westbrook playing great ball, what has been the catalyst for their performance lately? Well, I think Russ is a big part of it. Like, he admitted that he had been playing with a torn quad earlier in the season, and whether or not that's true or a little bit of, like, the LeBron school of injury embellishment, um, the reality is he did not look the same. And this was coming off a season where he made All-NBA, but it was like a it was almost like a lifetime achievement award, all NBA type selection, right? So even in Houston, he got off to a really slow start, played awesome for two months, season ended, and then he looked horrific in the bubble. So there was a very real chance, as I said at the time, as I probably sent 8,000 tweets about that, I thought he was just done because we had now basically had two instances of where this dude just did not look like the former MVP, you know, that type of athleticism. And a big portion, it seems like, is that he did get healthy and He's still making a lot of the same types of like head scratching, like hair pull out type decisions with his shot selection, with his turnovers, with his defense. But I mean, dude, like as much as we have now sort of devalued what it means to be, you can take out a triple double. There's something to be said about getting 24 assists and 21 rebounds in a game as a six, three point guard. I'm sorry. Like that, like call me old school, but that in itself is just incredible. Like, to be able to put that much pressure on the defense, to be able to get that many buckets for guys, they're, they're, how can you how can you say that that's not helping the team win, right? Um, and then the second thing I think you mentioned it, it's Gafford has totally revolutionized this defense. This was one of the worst defenses in the league. 
They lost Thomas Bryant. They had no center. They have no wings. They basically couldn't guard the perimeter and couldn't guard the rim. Right now, they still can't do the first, but Gafford has been a lifesaver just protecting the rim. And, dude, this is a guy that was riding the pine for Chicago, a team that wasn't exactly, like, flush with big men talent, right? Um, You know, pre-Busevich trade, of course. And now, all of a sudden, you have a situation where he – his permanent numbers are insane. Advanced numbers are insane. The only problem is that they don't play him enough. And so I think all of that has contributed. Of course, Beal has kind of remained consistent. And, you know, like I said, there was a bit of a soft schedule that they capitalized on. But, hey, they have wins over the Lakers. You know, they have wins over the Celtics, over the Nuggets. So it's not like they're beating nobodies entirely. And I just think that you put a, you put a guy as good as Bradley Beal with someone as confident as Russell Westbrook, as long as Russ is being good Russ, like he's being productive, then you get a version that I think can be really successful. And that's what we've been seeing. And let's be clear, this was the expectation that going into the season, right? That that right. duo was going to be good enough um, yep. to compete. Uh, Gafford's interesting. He reminds me of Rashawn Holmes a little bit because Rashawn Holmes is kind of a bit player in in Philly and Phoenix and totally. teams that are not that great. And so it's like, how come he couldn't get that many minutes there? But in the minutes he does or he is on the court, he's producing and, you know, the advanced stats are all favorable. Um, he's not yeah, as good. And I'll, I'll just quickly but... jump in that that's the number one comp Wizards fans have been using for him. Oh, I didn't even know that. But <laughs> yeah, because it's kind of the exact same story. And also it's a guy you're never running through your offense through. But his athleticism, his bounce, his motor reminds a lot of Wizards fans of what Holmes has been doing in Sacramento for a team that's also kind of on the up recently. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit more about Russ because I think it's interesting, you know, me following Russ since obviously his UCLA days. He the narrative around him always oscillates. It goes from we're either in awe at the triple doubles and the 2020 games, and, and we're kind of in that phase right now. And then it those are the waiting phases where he's shooting terribly from three-point land, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of costing fourth quarter cl- uh, clutch possessions. We saw a little bit of that in Houston towards the end. Um, there were times in OKC where that was a huge narrative. And it's always going back and forth where at one point we think Russ is one of the top three point guards in the NBA. And there's another point in time in which we are kind of slandering him and saying that those are empty stats. Yep. So well, I want to like, given that you've now been witnessing the Westbrook experience firsthand. Yeah. Why do you think it, it you know, kind of seesaws back and forth between those two narratives so much? Yeah, I mean, look, he is probably the most polarizing player of our era um, in the sense of not evaluating um, whether you like or hate him. That probably goes to James Harden, LeBron James, but more about evaluating if he's a plus or minus to your team, right? And years and years ago, Bill Simmons used to have this theory about the 90-10 rule, if you remember. And it was like, there's 90% a guy does, 10% they take off the table, right? 90% they put on, 10% they take off. And for each player, the 10% they take off is either more glaring or, or, or less noticeable. And so the instances that it was more glaring, and, and he used it in the context of Rondo and his lack of shooting, right? For Russ, it's, it's all that we talked about, the shot selection, the turnovers, you know, just the, the, the kind of like going for steals on defense where he's out of position. Even last night versus Milwaukee, he, he left Pat Connaughton twice uh, with a minute to go for you know, back-breaking threes. I think... The problem is he's so productive and he's so good that it like forces us into having a historical lens in the way we evaluate him. And he always will fall short when you measure when you when you talk to certain basketball fans, given that the way that they measure the game, right? You talk to certain analysts about the way, like we, you know, remember when we were talking about Anthony Edwards dunk and Nate Nate Duncan was like shitting on him because he was like, oh, one for seven. It's like guys who are gonna take that approach to analyzing basketball will never appreciate what Russ does. Um, because it's so much of a counter it's 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 an antithesis really to the way they think about good basketball players and I get that to some extent right like I was still mad at him early on because he was shooting us out of games they were basically losing every time he played and they were doing fine when he didn't and he's such a gravitational force that everything depends on if he's choosing to have a good game or not (laughs) Um, and the game that he had the 24 and 21 he took eight shots and that was actually what was more amazing to Wizards fans than the 24 and 21, honestly. It's like, holy shit, he actually only took eight shots. And this becomes the problem when you become such a poor shooter like he has. 
uh, where if you're going to continue to rely on that jumper, whether the mid range or the three, you can't really hit free throws. So suddenly you're not as you know aggressive going to the rim. Then it becomes a much different version. I think ultimately it's such a seesaw. And so talk to me in a week and I might feel differently or talk to me after he takes 35 shots in the play in game and we, we lose, I might feel differently, but that's kind of been the, the genesis of the Russell Westbrook experience. Like to me, nobody that's played the game has put up the just sheer numbers that he has. But unfortunately his triple doubles or whatever, just, don't feel the same as like a Luca or a LeBron or a Jokic or Giannis. Like it's just not the same value. And it's not a bad thing because he's being compared against historical players, but it is the reality of trying to figure out where you would peg him, you know, whether it's even in today's era or all time. Yeah, man, that's actually a great point you brought up because I, his triple doubles, he's normalized them to a point where we, we don't even, uh, really blink when we see it happen, and and with guys like Luca and LeBron, we still make a big deal whenever they have a triple double, which I find interesting because it's not like they're doing something totally different than Westbrook is. I mean, obviously they're very different players, but um, you watch Westbrook and the buckets he generates for a team. Uh, you know, a lot of those assists, you can say that. You know, yeah, there's some stat cooking, some of the rebounds. Obviously, he's a little bit more aggressive than other players would be, but like you said, 24, 21, you don't like accidentally get those numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, off of Westbrook, I think the other interesting narrative around the Wizards this season is is your favorite, your man, Scott Brooks. Yeah, Scotty Brooks. Uh, I I want to know. <laughs> it feels like he's been there forever now. Um, but it's only been oh, what well, four years? This is his fifth year, and it wasn't going to ha- end a second sooner with Ted Leonsis' cheap ass refusing to pay two coaches at once. So we knew we were in for five years, and they gave him a lot of money. They gave him thirty five million, which you know, for a coach who was kind of shown his shown the door in OKC, wasn't exactly like there was a line of teams waiting to hire him. That was a lot of money for him. Yeah, a lot of money for for Scott Brooks, and I think what's interesting about him too is there there are a lot of decisions this season you can point to as questionable, or maybe he's not getting the most out of this roster. You know, the latest one being Gafford's minutes. Um, yeah, you know, he's he's playing much better than your other centers, uh, who Alex Len and. Uh, Robin, Robin Lopez. Lopez. Yeah. And and yet he's still not finding the right time on the floor. And 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 like Brooks to me has always been one of those coaches where it's like, I don't know, he doesn't really bring that much to the table. Like I get they were successful in OKC, but now with the Wizards kind of coming up at the end of his contract and they're kind of at this junction, do you think who would you want to see the team go after? Or do you think they're gonna end up signing if they make the playoffs, signing Brooks again to a, an extension? Well, you know this all too well as a Kings fan who is kind of always rooting for sort of on one hand, you do want your, to see your team win. Like it's not fun to see teams lo- your team lose every night, but at the same time, you know what that means if you do a yep. little too well. So we're in this situation in D.C. where, like I said, we started off so bad, everybody was penciling Cade Cunningham into the lineup, right? And we were like, oh my God, like can you imagine Russ Westbrook, Evan Mobley pick and rolls or whatever it is. And then we got good, and it was like, okay, this is kind of fun. But now it's pure terror that Ted Leones <laughs> is going to fucking extend Scott Brooks, right? If he, like you said, makes the playoffs. And let's say we take two games off of the one seed or something like that, right? Like, we yeah. played both Brooklyn and Philadelphia well this year. So, like, who knows? With Russ and Beal, like, it's not inconceivable that we'd go to six, right? And so suddenly you're like, oh, my God, this is going to be the case. And then they're, of course, going to have the built-in excuse for COVID, on and on we go, and then we're back with Scott Brooks, right? Um, but hypothetically speaking, if we do get the opportunity to move on, I think with Beal and Russ, if you're going to keep both, and it seems like all indications are that they will, you probably have to hire someone a little bit more established, a little bit more of a veteran coach who has their ear. I know they really like Brooks, so you'd have to find someone who's got a bit of a pedigree. Like you can't go after maybe like a David Vanterpool or a M.A. Udoka or like some of these young guns, even Kenny Atkinson, who I think would be great. So you're then you're looking at like, okay, Nate McMillan is an option, but of course he's doing pretty well in Atlanta. So I doubt, you know, they would move on from him. But ultimately, I just there are a few coaches out there, whether they're the retreads, the Terry Stotts of the world, even who's likely to be let go in, in Portland. But I think it's really first going to have to be a decision about whether or not they want to get rid of Beal and rebuild. And if they want to move Beal, then it's a different kind of coach. 
And that's kind of the first decision. We're just operating on the assumption in DC that they're going to keep him and really make him the cornerstone and, and build around him. And as long as he's happy with that, I guess that's fine. But it is a little worrisome when you see that a ceiling on even a team that's playing well is that we're still talking play in tournament. And and Russ isn't getting any younger. Um, I don't no. know how long he's going to keep playing at this level. So it's not like this iteration of the Wizards is going to be competitive for the next few years. Um, you, the young guys got to develop. You got to make some changes, even if you do build around Beal. And is you know who's the right coach for that? Right, all of that you have to kind of factor in. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because like that's the other thing, right? Like look at the East. We we talk a lot about how the East is weak perennially, but at the top, they're probably just as good as the top of the West. You know, if you look at just the top three teams. And then after that, you know, you have a young Hawks team. You have a young Knicks team with a ton of cap space who's playing awesome and, you know, can add to that. You have Charlotte, who's up and coming with LaMelo and, and you know, Terry Rogier and that group. Mikel, uh, Michael, uh, Miles Bridges, sorry. And so it's kind of like, okay, then where do the Wizards... And, of course, the Celtics, right, with Tatum and Brown. So it's like, where do the Wizards fit in in a best-case scenario with all of these teams that already kind of are staking their claim to being perennial playoff teams. Yep. Yep. Um, so I feel like we've talked enough about the wizards. <laughs> maybe we, maybe we flip it to the other end of the Eastern conference. Uh, because I think there's a lot of interesting things happening at the top. Now we've, we've talked about nets, bucks, sixers for quite a bit, but I think the bucks are becoming a lot more interesting lately. They've flown under the radar most of the season because it's been it's always been about waiting until they do it in the playoffs. Even Giannis hasn't been getting the MVP buzz because uh, you know we've seen him win MVP twice and the results in the postseason were the same. But they just had a big win against the Nets uh, this week and in twice, twice, and and you know they. KD was there. Yeah, no Harden, but KD, Kyrie were there. They were playing at at kind of the top of their games, and still Milwaukee came away looking very impressive. So I want to – what are your thoughts on Milwaukee? Do you think that this is now a team that has shown enough during this regular season to be considered a real threat to make the finals, or do you still think that it's kind of a wait-and-see kind of a situation? Absolutely. I'm all in on – you know, Milwaukee being a team that can really make headway. I think you and I have battled on this all season. And the reality is, yes, it's still about Giannis and what he can do at the end of games, especially as the creator from the top of the key. But Drew Holiday is borderline superstar right now. And like the way he's playing, not only offensively, but really defensively, like he had a couple of nice games against Kyrie, especially game one on Sunday. And it's like, if they can get that kind of ball pressure while his shot making stays intact, he continues to hit threes. He continues to facilitate. I mean, we asked Chris Middleton to sort of perform that role in years past, and it was clearly, you know, beyond his scope. But now that you have Drew, you got all three guys on max deals. So there's no issues about, you know, is this dude going to leave? Is that guy going to leave? You know, there's so much more just continuity with this team. I don't see why they can't come out of the East, honestly. P.J. Tucker, Bryn Forbes, Bobby Portis, they have so much more versatility this season. They have so much more ability to play small. I think they're in for big, big things in the playoffs. All right, so you're picking them right now to to go to the finals. Put put a stake in. Make your claim. I mean, is anybody uh, okay. as much as anybody really picks anybody to do anything, you know? I I I if I had to pick one team. After what I just saw this week and what I have not seen from Philadelphia in the playoffs, yeah, I'm going Milwaukee. I think they're that good, and I think they're that much improved from years past. The way things are shaking out right now, it looks like Milwaukee will still have to get past Brooklyn before they have to worry about Philly. So ultimately, this yep. this is going to be their first test. I mean, their first test actually might be Miami because – there's easily a situation in which Milwaukee's three and Miami's six. And if they lose that... We just saw that last year. And if they lose that, I mean, I don't know where they go from there because you're locked into this core. You fire Bud, but ultimately that must be the most demoralizing thing. Right? Um, I I still think Brooklyn can beat them. And now look, it they Brooklyn defensively could not stop Giannis. I mean, it was comical when Blake Griffin was, was trying to uh, play defense. Um, mm-hmm. Drew Holiday, front like especially on Sunday, really frustrated Kyrie, like frustrated, and it's 
it's not often you see when Kyrie can't really get to his moves. He'll have bad shooting nights, but he couldn't get to like his go-to moves. And I think yep. he, he had a much better game this, this past game, like the second time they played this week. Yep. But uh, I think that bodes really well because they didn't have that kind of lockdown defender in the past. I mean, Giannis is a great defender, but team defender. Middleton solid, yep. but but Drew Holiday can really take a guard out of a game. And Bryn Forbes, honestly, like guys like Bryn Forbes, DiVincenzo's a much better player. They're just getting more contributions all around the board in these tight games too. Yeah. That makes me more confident in them and, and less they don't have to rely as much on Giannis, his shot creation down the stretch. All that said, I still don't think when this team is in crunch time versus Durant, Harden, and Kyrie, like even this last game, they went on an 18-1 run. It looked like they put the game out of reach, and Durant and Kyrie kind of brought them back, and all of a sudden it was a five- or four-point game, I think, with under a minute left when they were down like 12. And so I, I just – I still think it's going to come down to Giannis in those clutch situations. And look, normally I think he's gotten good enough to to weather those situations, but is he good enough to beat Kyrie Harden and Durant in a close game? Because it's going to be close. Yeah. All these games are going to be close. But this is what I told you, right? I think Middleton is not really the guy to guard Kyrie. So you're right about that. Getting a little shiftier of a defender, a smaller guard to be able to check him is what they needed. But Middleton absolutely, I think, can at least put up a fight versus Harden. He's got longer arms. He you know, is a good defensive. He's just a very disciplined defender, so he won't necessarily go for all of the fakes. My question to you is, as you watched Sunday and as you watched on Tuesday, and I'm going to say two things. The first is the Nets are clearly really, really good with Harden, right? The record with him and without him is a stark difference. Yep. But as I watched those games, I found myself thinking like, what's Harden going to do that they're not already getting from Durant and Kyrie offensively? Because really he's going to make his bones on that end of the court. And they didn't really have problems scoring per se, right? Like they went in and they got... Brooklyn had 114 on Sunday and they had 118 on Tuesday. And like you said, Kyrie and KD were enough to bring them back. So the bigger question I have, and this is the question everyone had when they made that trade is, will the offense be enough to offset defense, right? And the Nets had started playing better defensively than those early days, but how do they stop a guy like Giannis? It's not Blake Griffin. It's not DeAndre Jordan. It's sure as hell not Nick Claxton. You know, their best lineup might involve KD at center. So what do you know? What do they do on the glass versus a team like Brooklyn or a team like Philly? So sorry, excuse me, a team like Milwaukee or Philly. So I think we're starting to see a few more chinks in the armor uh, for Brooklyn than we had ex- experienced previously. You know, they just lost again to the Mavericks tonight, their third straight loss. And again, Katie and Kyrie played, so it wasn't like they had not that didn't have the full complement. And so Milwaukee incidentally has the most you know longevity uh, of, of any of these teams and the most playoff success because. As much as we keep touting Philly and Embiid, they've won two playoff series in the careers of Simmons and Embiid. So what are we talking about here? The worrisome thing I see with with Brooklyn is, I mean, everyone knows the defense is their Achilles heel, but it's it's also that stat that's like no team that did not finish in the top 10 in defense uh, has won the championship, um, except for three teams. And all those teams were, uh, they won the championship the year before. So they'd been there, done that. They could weather the storm. Like, you know, the, one of the Warriors teams and one of the Lakers in the early 2000s teams. So ultimately, the, the story is if you're a new team and you have not, if you're not finishing top 10 in defense, you're not winning. So I, right. I get I get the concerns and Harden's not going to improve. I mean, he's not bad defensively, but he's not going to materially make an impact on that end either. No, I, I just... I, I we've seen this play out so much in the NBA where talent wins out, talent wins out. And this is just too much talent. We haven't seen this much talent accumulated. This isn't Paul George and Kawhi playing together. This is three guys who, yes, they've had their share of playoff struggles, but they've all had their share of big moments. And Drew Holiday hasn't had a big moment. Chris Middleton hasn't had a big moment. Giannis hasn't had a big moment. And yes, there are going to be games where Milwaukee wins, but if it's a game six and game seven, like this series will go six or seven. I don't think it's going to be five, even by Milwaukee. People get tight, and I think it just matters having those guys. So I, th- there's no data I can use to support that. There's no metrics, no advanced stats. 
nothing I can even point to besides what we've seen the last 30 years of the NBA. I just, I don't, I find it hard to believe that those three guys would lose a game six or game seven. But I think the point you made is why I have an issue with this, right? Like top 10 defense is almost a must to be a championship team. Even a team like, you remember the 2018 Cavs, which were, they were pretty bad on defense, but they had LeBron in kind of God mode and they had a pretty weak Eastern conference, right? There was not a Philly. There was not a Milwaukee at the caliber that they're at right now. And they were able to make it through. I think they played like, didn't they play like, uh, yeah, it was like Jason Tatum rookie year Celtics in the conference finals, right? So it wasn't necessarily like a murderer's row to get through. And the reality is, Brooklyn can absolutely make the finals with like a bottom five or bottom 10 defense. We've seen that in terms of winning. That's not really the question we're asking, which is like, can you get out of the East? I think they absolutely can, but a lot of people have been pointing to the comparison to the Warriors of just like three mega shooting stars. Um, But the difference is the Warriors were unbelievable defensively, right? You had prime Draymond, you had Iguodala, you had Sean Livingston, you had Clay Thompson, you had a healthier version of Kevin Durant. And that's not, in my opinion, compares, comparable because when I even watched tonight, they were just getting lost on Luka pick and rolls and leaving open shooters, right? They were same thing happening against Milwaukee. They're letting Giannis either go straight to the rim or Drew Holiday or Connaughton or one of these guys would be open for threes, Middleton, and like they're leaving a lot of really good shooters open. Now, Milwaukee's problem in years past has been all their shooters have conveniently forgot how to shoot. But the difference between those teams and this one is Eric Bledsoe is not primarily involved, which I think can't be understated here. They've so, added P.J. Tucker, though, who's had those issues in the past. He has, but I don't think Tucker, if he, to me, Tucker is not going to play if he's not not if he's not doing well. And I, I, obviously that's a very reductive kind of stupid statement, but some guys you have to play because they're a core yep. part of your team, even when they're struggling. Eric Bledsoe fit into that camp. I don't think P.J. Tucker fits into that camp. That That's the difference, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. That's fair. I just think one of the other issues with Brooklyn is that Kevin Durant, his defense has not been been great. No. And he's he look, he's never known as an elite defender, but he plays an important role on, on defense for all the teams he's been a part of. Like, it was right. not talked about enough what he meant to that Warriors team defensively. And even in OKC, he was pretty good defensively. And at, at that size and at the, the position he plays, he's getting kind of cooked. Right? And it might be because he's still coming back from injury. Um, but I think, you know, as they get hardened back into the fold, Durant has to take less of that offensive burden. He can also play a bigger role on defense. So I, I think there are areas this team can improve. I think DeAndre Jordan's minutes need to just get cut even more and they got to play Claxton more. I think there's things, th- this is where Nash, who knows how good of a coach he is. And that's the other variable. There's so because, many questions. Yeah, yeah. Like Blake Griffin's been a, you know, pleasant surprise by all measures, but at the same time, like as much as talent as there is, like don't they have to kind of play together, like even for a few games? Like, how could this not matter? You, it, you it, honestly think yeah. that it's not going to matter that Harden's going to have basically missed the last thirty games of the regular season? Durant missed, you know, thirty-five games. I think when it's all said and done, thirty-five or forty. Kyrie's going to end up playing, you know, missing twenty. They played seven games together of which the last was in February. Maybe they get one or two more at the end of the season if Harden comes back, but I and look, we shouldn't we should we should be very clear here. Like their first round opponent could be the Boston Celtics or it could be the Miami Heat. You know, those are the two teams right now jockeying for 6th and 7th and one of them will be in the play in. Let's assume they'll be favored. Brooklyn is likely going to finish two at best, right? They're two games back of Philly and don't have the tiebreaker. So I, I don't know. Like, it's not like round one, you can just like tune up against the fucking magic or the Pistons of year past. Like, this is a different East right now. That's true. Boston, you know, is playing better, and uh, Miami is uh, defensively, they're going to create a lot of problems for Brooklyn. So, I, I, right. and, I still. And neither might have the guns, right? I don't, I'm not, I would never predict, I would never pick either one over a Brooklyn, but I could easily see that round one series going seven, for example. I think the concerning thing is definitely Harden has not been in the fold and he's not coming back anytime soon, looks like, or until the playoffs maybe. And you're right. At a certain point, these guys just, you you can't just turn it on without a little bit of a tune-up and your tune-up can't be uh, against Bam and Jimmy Butler in the first round because that could go badly very fast. So a lot of questions around Brooklyn, I think. But going back to Milwaukee, if you're a Bucks fan, 
if you're the Bucks franchise, this is a, the best case scenario that could have happened this season, right? Drew Holiday is a perfect fit. Middleton has continued to play well. You're getting great contributions from from the bench and some of the pieces you added um, in the offseason. And Giannis has, has take, seemingly taken his game up to another level. Like Obviously, he's still not a knockdown shooter, but there were those couple threes where Brooklyn on Tuesday just left him wide open, and he stepped up and knocked him down. And he missed a couple others, but if he can do that once in a while, that is a huge, huge uh, change to his game. So yeah, everything's pointing up for Milwaukee, I, I think. And if this team is legit, they should be able to beat Philly. Um, they should be able to beat a Nets team that is a little discombobulated and, like you said, hasn't had enough time together. So I think the excuses um, are not really there anymore for Milwaukee. If they lose a close series to uh, to the Nets or to the Sixers, I guess you can excuse it, but it's really put up or shut up time for them. Where would they have to go? Um, you know, we talked a few weeks ago about which teams would consider this season a failure if they didn't win the title. How deep would Milwaukee have to go to be pretty convinced that running it back was the right move, including, you know, keeping Bud? Because the three guys, like I mentioned, are all under max deals. They're likely not going anywhere. Um, Giannis and Drew are obviously not. So the only guy you could really potentially move is Chris Middleton, right? Um, so I don't think they would do that. So short of firing Bud, what would be, you know, success for this season? Because although we did say it was a title, I think let's say if they made the finals, for example, and lose in six to the Lakers, I think Giannis is still feeling good about their chances moving forward, right? But where's that where where is that break even point in your opinion? If they beat the Nets in the second round and then lose a six or seven game series to the Sixers, I think they'll be okay. Um, I even think they might be okay if they lose a tight seven-game series to the Nets in the second round because you can excuse that away, right? Like, if you lose to the Nets, that team is a superstar team. If they won in seven, they must have been doing something right. And if you lose to the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals, you were close. You almost got there. You could run it back. Yep. Either, I think the biggest disappointment would be losing in the first round or just getting run off the floor by one of these teams. And regardless, there's nothing they can do because even Middleton, yeah, they can try moving him, but you're not getting a player better. Middleton's aging. He's not netting you any better assets in the short term, and you're built to win in the short term, so you might as well run it back again next year. You have to. You have to. So they have no path. You can make the fringe chases. You can make like the Brooke Lopez, you know, uh, Bobby Portis, like Pat Connaughton, DiVincenzo. Like you can see what those net, but those are not going to get you the second or third best player. They'll get you the fourth and fifth maybe. But this is honestly, this is a good spot for Milwaukee to be in um, because grand, assuming they don't flame out, if they're competitive in the playoffs and almost win, they can run this back another year. They can run this back two more years. Um, and yeah, guys are going to start to get older, but your window is still open. I think if Philly doesn't win it, I don't know, there might be, or if they don't get far, there might be pressure to trade Simmons and change that up. If Brooklyn doesn't mm-hmm. win it, um, they're going to run back that same team next year, yeah, but still, Brooklyn there's other questions, change, right? Yeah. So at least there's that uh, consistency you know Milwaukee's going to have year in and year out. And as long as they put up a fight this season, I think they'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, look, like Boston, for example, could be a team that breaks it up, right? Like yep. when I say break it up, they keep Jalen, they keep Jason, but then maybe they move Kemba or they move Marcus Smart or someone like that. Uh, because I do expect them to lose round one, right? So that's going to be a team that's going to be a bit under the fire. Miami, same thing. They have Jimmy, they have Bam, but a lot of the other guys are like, do they cash in the Tyler Hero chips? Yeah, maybe a season too late, but yeah, it's interesting because there can only be so many teams in advance, and you probably have five or six teams in the East that have a lot of pressure. Um, even, you know, Atlanta's not going to do anything if they lose, or the Knicks are not going to do anything if they lose. They feel pretty comfortable with how the season went. But other than that, you could argue every single playoff team is thinking of first round exit as like either anywhere ranging from a total organizational catastrophe to, you know, a pretty big, pretty big disaster. Yeah. Yeah. So in that sense, like, you know, they're okay. Um, I, I think that the Drew extension was really important. Um, I didn't see him leaving necessarily because there's not a lot of teams with cap space, and I don't know what could be better than playing with Giannis, right, in his prime. Um, but 
getting it done, I think, was important just for the psychology of the team, knowing that this isn't really like, you know, one and done. Because you look over in, in L.A., and maybe this is when we switch to the West, because you look over in L.A., and, and Paul George is under contract, yes, but Kawhi is a free agent this summer, and I would be surprised if he left, right, just given everything he did to, to get to that position. But and, and the fact that he chose the Clippers over the Lakers, right, he could have easily signed in, in with either team, right, so he made that active decision. At the same time, let's say they do draw Lakers round one, and it's LeBron's back and AD's playing well and healthy. I mean, they might not be favored in that series, like, that's the defending champions with with a healthy and rested LeBron, right? So no, they'd be favored. E- even still, you wouldn't be shocked if they lost. No, not at all. So can you imagine the pressure that the Clippers are feeling coming into this tournament or into the playoffs? Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. They don't have the security Milwaukee does. And this is the stage Brooklyn uh, will be in next year. If they don't win this year, uh, that's the same pressure Brooklyn's going to be under next year. Um, and off the top of my head, uh, what are Kyrie, KD, and Harden's contracts are look like? I don't know who's in danger of leaving, but it's going to be the exact same situation if they can't win it this year. Well, right now, KD and Kyrie both signed four-year deals, I think, with three-year opt-outs. Yep. So they have one more year. So they can opt out next summer. Uh, Harden has two more years. But one of those, I believe, is an opt-out. Or maybe the one after that is an opt-out. Yep. So he's actually under contract the longest. But at any point, they can figure out extensions if it makes sense. I mean, again, like these are three other guys who move mountains to get to the position they're in. Where else are they going to go? Um, you know, we talked about this as it related to like, okay, what's the bank of unhappy stars? Because it feels like it's kind of like getting dry. And really all you can point to is maybe Carl Anthony Towns and even more maybe Bradley Beal. Other than that, everyone has forced their way to where they wanted to be. Um, so I'm very interested to see when do we find the first one of those guys that's like, nah, this isn't working. Or is it someone who does it as early as being on a rookie deal, which we have not really ever seen, like a Luca or like a Zion or Jason Tatum, who's now just starting a max. Like I'm just thinking through it. I don't think those guys are unhappy, but – where else is Kyrie going to go? He wanted to play in Brooklyn with Kevin Durant, and he has his wish. So Yeah, all three know. of those guys have kind of, uh, you know, the shelf life on them and their unhappiness with other teams, they they, they can't play that excuse anymore, right? Um, yeah, but they're also so mercurial. Who knows? Like, who honestly knows what KD feels on any given day? Yeah, especially in Kyrie. Kyrie's also a, a loose cannon. Who knows what he cares about? Yeah. All of a sudden, he decides. Because if, if next offseason is when they can opt out, that's they could have two playoff flameouts that end disastrously. And things change fast in the NBA. You have two really bad postseason runs. You know, something is going to change. You're not going to keep running back that same team over and over again. So it might be a trade. I don't know. But we'll, um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think, what do you... If I had to give you uh, an option between watching Lakers Clippers and Bucks Nets, which is the more interesting series to you? Huh. If you could only watch like one, which one do you think is? Be, I feel like it still has to be Lakers Clippers because this is kind of what we've been promised uh, when we landed like four of the basically games ten best players on one in one city. They had the whole, like, you know, this is our city, take back the campaign, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, take back the city, that whole advertising thing. And it's like, last year it was like, okay, cool. We're getting Clippers, Lakers. They're kind of both mowing everyone down, and it's an obvious collision course. It's in the bubble, which adds this, like, level of weirdness because it should have been all in Staples Center. And then the Clippers just flamed out, right, versus Denver. And I feel like we just, we need that. We were promised that, and we need it. What about you? So that's how I've been feeling most of the year. But this past week, I actually think Bucks Nets is going to be better because the Lakers, all of a sudden, it looks like, and we've seen this with LeBron, right? The, the built-in excuses are kind of creeping up. Uh, his ankle not fully recovered. They haven't played. You know, they've they've been hit hard by injuries more than any other team. When you talk about their stars, and Schroeder's out now. And I just feel like if they lose, they're not going to look at it as some catastrophic loss. And so yeah. the, the the ramifications of them losing aren't that bad. Whereas if the Nets beat the Bucks, it proves the Nets are legit 
it raises those questions about the Bucks again, or if vice versa, the Bucks win, they're all of a sudden a true bona fide contender if they just slayed the dragon. And so yeah. I, I just think now the consequences and ramifications of that series are more than Lakers Clippers, which looked promising a month ago, but now it's like Dude, we also got blue balled last year, right? Because the Lakers yeah. won the title, so they're just not they're not on the same footing. And that's the frustrating part. Like, yeah, they have injuries this year, but they're also on, you know, it's like the shelf life of a post-championship is five years before you even think about complaining, right? Exactly. You yep. got one with LeBron. You got one with AD. Yeah, who gives a shit about Schroeder having one or not? <laughs> you know, it's like they already won. And so no matter what happens, you can always be like, well, you know, it's 1-1 now, right? It's not really like we were playing even. So that that is true. I do think that, like, when you look at the West, the Clippers are the only team that the Lakers look at with some level of fear. Um, I think you could argue that maybe Denver pre Jamal Murray injury was one of those or creeping into one of those, but they also disposed of them pretty easily last year. And so maybe they don't feel that way. So the, the interesting thing like you brought up is, can you imagine the media circus if <laughs> the Nets lose like early, let's say like round two. And in this case, this would be a round two series. After all that stuff, like blah, 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 everyone raking Houston through the coals for being like making the worst trade of all time. And then they get dumped in round two, um, which is, by the way, totally plausible, right? Given that we just saw the matchup and Milwaukee wasn't an underdog, right? I'm not saying it would go exactly that way, but they weren't, they were clearly even teams. Um, oh man, like first take, like Stephen A would just his head would actually explode on live TV. Yeah. I think the NBA is in a win-win situation with the Nets because look, if the Nets win, um, and as much as people complain about the superstars, this and that, you're going to have three stars in the finals um, against someone coming out of the West. That is going to be, people love a good supervillain and the Nets are a supervillain. If they lose, it's great for the league because it shows that this teaming up is not guaranteed to work out. And I think we saw that last year with Paul George and Kawhi. And we saw that this year with, with the Nets that they lose. And, and even if the Nets can win it next year, I think it, it's it's rewarding to see a team like the Bucks, who kind of built around their star or a team like the Sixers if they beat the Nets. Um, you know, there's still hope for those teams. So I, I think either way, the NBA is going to be a good place no matter how it plays out. Because I also don't mind seeing the Nets in the finals. Like I'm rooting for that. I want a super team, a villain going up against Lakers or Clippers, that is going to be an amazing series. Just multiple villains? Well, yeah, everyone's a villain. You have Who's to root the, for someone. So the the dream scenario, like what's the dream Final Four or Final Eight for the for the NBA, right? Because you, it's basically some two of Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Philly. Any combination of those teams playing each, yep. each other I think would sell. Um, if you want to go strictly market-specific, I think Brooklyn has to be in there just because of the star power. And then let's go with Philly. But I actually think Giannis is a bigger star than yeah. Embiid. Yeah, so he is. Uh, that being said, the way the standings are shaping up, that's probably going to be round two, like I said. So let's just even say round two. So you're looking at Brooklyn, Philly in, in one side, and then, um, sorry, Brooklyn, Milwaukee on one side, and then Philadelphia versus the Knicks. Can yeah. you imagine that? <laughs> I mean, that would be just ratings bonanza. And so that's on one side. And then the other side, ideally, let's say you have the Clippers avoid the Lakers in round one. I think everyone wants to see it as a round one <laughs> for now, but they're not thinking about it from like, what's the long-term benefit. They just want to see yeah. it as soon as possible. So I think if you do like a Clippers versus Nug uh, Suns, maybe, and then jazz Lakers, and then they meet in the conference finals, that's the best case scenario for the NBA. Ideally you have the nuggets in there, but I think they'd end up having to play um, somebody before then. This is the first year I'm more interested in the East. I yeah, I was gonna I, say I don't know like, why I, I don't care about Phoenix or Utah. Like I just don't because I don't see them as realistic teams to win the title. Or they could, but I just it, it's hard for me to see them coming out. And so I'd rather see like for example, I'd rather see a four of Clippers, Lakers, Mavericks somehow pulling it off. And um, I don't know what's the you need team to put more respect on Chris Paul's name, man. I'm the one who said he should be first team All NBA. How much more respect do you want? But where'd you have him in MVP? Because I thought he should be third on MVP ballots. I also think he should be third over in MVP. Actually, no. I still say. On... Uh... Actually, Giannis should really be third. The, the problem with the third, fourth, fifth is you start comparing guys who've missed games, and it gets hard. 
no, I think my five have not missed many games. I, I guess that's not true because Joel is two. But my, right now I have it as Jokic, Joel, Giannis, CP3, and then take your pick of like Dame, Curry, you know, not super, Randall. I'm not super like convinced on any of those guys needing to be in the top five, but let's say, let's say it's, or Luca, right? Actually, I think Luca's my number five. So actually, I put Luca those... in there given Dallas has been playing better. Yeah, they're up to five right now, and they're, you know, there's big Brooklyn tonight. Yeah, I think Luca's, and Porzingis, like, what happened to Porzingis? He got hurt again? Like, where has he been? Yeah, dude, I don't know. Porzingis is like the most. I think we're going to look back at Luca's career and think about how those first couple of years we thought Porzingis was a, was a good pair for him. And we just kind of, I don't I'm think it's going to work. I know it's only his third year, but this shit moves fast, man. I'm really worried we're headed down towards like a LeBron Cleveland situation yeah. where they just try all these combinations of guys, but because you got the first one wrong, you're sort of always capped out. Yeah. Um, you can all, you're always just like cycling in spare parts, whether it's Larry Hughes, Antoine Jameson, Ben Wallace, <laughs> Shaq, like Zidrenis Ligowski. It's like, think about how many Daniel Marshall, all these guys they just like moved in and out. They're like, okay, who the fuck is the right guy? And they could never get one. And they never had cap space because yeah. they made that wrong decision early on. I'm really worried that I, I know it's early, but when you're talking about a player as good as Luca is right now, which is sort of like where we were with LeBron in year three. You, you're already on the clock. This isn't like a, hey, he's 21, 22, it's okay. Like, you're already in championship contention with the right team. Absolutely. I mean, the good thing is Dallas has shown, they've done this with Dirk. They rotated so many pieces around Dirk till the, the most unlikely one got him a title. But they're, I don't know. I don't think Porzingis is the answer. I think they're going to have to. But that felt like luck, right? I know Dirk went superhuman luck. that year. It was but luck. even winning that title was kind of, in, like, really, really, like, you play that over again, like, Beating the Kobe Lakers, the Durant Thunder, uh, then I think Spurs. the Spurs, and the, the Spurs. Uh, yeah, the Duncan Spurs, and then the LeBron and Wade Heat. Like it was an all-time run, but you play that twenty times over, it probably hasn't happened more than once other time, one other time. Yeah, no, no I, it, it won't. But um, so yeah, I mean, we got onto the mask because we're talking about who we'd want to see in that final four, and and I'm telling you, in the West, I don't even want to see Phoenix and Utah because. You actually, I'd, I'd want to see Utah more because Utah's been there a couple years. I think Phoenix is just too ripe. Like I wanted to see Phoenix because Devin Booker, he's hot and he's awesome. And then Donovan Mitchell, like I'm a Booker over Mitchell guy. I don't oh, know. dude, yeah, I'm. I'm I, look, Mitchell is so he's gotten so overrated to this point where people are talking about him on third all all NBA third team and things like. That. I don't know if you had him. I think you had him. Like I did at one point. But De'Aaron team, Fox I, I, is better than Donovan Mitchell right now. Um, <laughs> the way he's playing. So, like, to me, Donovan Mitchell is nice. And he's done it on a winning team. So that's more than Fox can say. And obviously he's... But I just don't think he's that much more talented than a guy like Fox. So... I think with Mitchell, obviously there's some benefit from just being like, okay, you're on the number one team. And therefore, like, you're going to get some credit for that. Like... It's the same thing that happens with all-star selections. But to, one thing I will say is he has improved his volume without sacrificing efficiency as he did in years past. So he's scoring more points. He's just been generally like leading the offense better. I know he's been out with the ankle, but that's one thing I think I wasn't trustworthy of his game to do, be able to do that. I just thought yep. like he was a guy that was going to get 25 points on 25 shots. And he's starting to become something a little bit more dynamic he, uh, yeah yeah I, I don't want to slander mitchell he's been he's improved a lot he's also like devin booker is a similar player in which you always thought he had to get the high volume to get the the points but he's become yeah. more efficient yeah i i just i i think i think we talk too highly of donovan mitchell sometimes but we, we definitely put him in rarefied air but i actually would say we probably do the same with devin booker a guy whose game looks so smooth and he produces high volume points, but you look at any of the advanced numbers, they're just not very healthy, even all these years later, despite the fact that they're winning. Even now, you know, compared to Chris Paul, they kind of pale in comparison. But Booker's gotten a lot of criticism over the years. Uh he's had his he's had his uh fair share of fans, but also doubters. Donovan Mitchell's always been on a pretty competitive Utah team. 
So no one has really questioned him as much. I mean, they question the efficiency, but uh, people were asking if Devin Booker is even a winning player. Like, could he be the best player on a winning team? And he clearly, he's not the best player on that Suns team, but, you know, he still might be the most important. Um, Yep. Yep. No, I think, I think it, I think they, they just are not, have not, never been on the national stage. Even this year, they haven't had a ton of national TV games. Chris Paul is a known commodity, but like getting used to him with, you know, on a new team is different. And then Booker, Aiden, like the world doesn't know these guys yet. So, so to your point, maybe it's not as fun that they're there. Obviously, you want Jokic, the MVP, to be involved, but I don't know if they have enough juice to get into round two. I hope that they do. Um, but I don't know that I'd pick them in a, unless they're playing the Mavericks, I don't think I'd pick Denver in round one. Yeah, Denver is just, it's sad, man, because Denver would have changed the landscape of this entire playoffs if they just had I think had they could have won the title, honestly. Yeah, they, I mean, they, they were a serious threat. And um, so many matchups, like Denver Clippers, Denver Lakers, Denver, even the Suns. Or, and then when you talk about Denver facing one of these Eastern teams, I think either one would have been really exciting. Yeah, but. and, you know, we, we mentioned this when we did the injury, but this is a two-year injury, essentially, because of when he got hurt. Yeah and normalizing the schedule. So this could knock Murray out for basically this playoffs and next. And that's just, it's, it's sad, but it's also like as, as for him, but then like as a basketball fan and seeing what Jokic's ceiling could be. Um, but you know, Michael Porter is also, I mean, he's a second year player averaging 25 a game now since the injury. So maybe that, that opens the door for him to just take over. The one interesting wrinkle that I don't think, I've heard that much about is what the fan attendance is going to look like in these games, playoff games. I know yeah. teams are starting to let fans back in. I think every team now, except maybe Portland, I saw Dame complain about that on Twitter. Um, they're still not allowing fans, I think. Yeah. Uh, and the only team. Chicago just allowed them for the first time. I think the first game for the Bulls that they're going to have fans is tomorrow night. Okay. So, uh, you know, home court, we haven't talked about home court at all. And, and I think, some of these shooting numbers, we, we talked about this empty gym theory. I, you know, I know Nail's a big fan of that. Like, I, I wonder if all of a sudden going from no fans to stadium that maybe, I don't know, third full, 20% full, um, makes a difference to have that noise. If that's going to have any impact, does home court matter? Because for a while we kept saying home court's not going to matter. Home court's not going to matter. Well, I've been on this for a while, right? I was like, look, Republican-run states like Arizona and Utah might mean that Phoenix and uh, the Jazz, Suns and the Jazz are playing with a lot more attendance than Lakers and Clippers, right? And I think that's meaningful. Um, You know, to your point, one thing I haven't seen is whether or not, I haven't kept track, really, I should say, is like, have these teams been also slowly increasing capacity as we've gotten more vaccinated? I don't know that because they started very low, like 10%. You know, twelve percent, fifteen percent, like are different. You know, for in Chicago, for example, like they just announced that they're going to effectively lift restrictions starting July fourth. Um, yep, and that could mean you know full capacity for Bears games and and things at the Cubs games and things of that nature. But those are all outdoor. I don't know what they're going to do with the indoor facilities. Um, but you know, since people have been allowed in through the gates, we've made a ton of progress on vaccines. And so we have a much lower positivity rate, much lower death hospitalization rate than we did three months ago. So will that translate to being like, you know, 15,000 fans can come in or is it still going to just be kept conservative? Because why take the chance this year? Let's just figure it out, get smart and come back next year with full crowds. So that, so that, that I that's, know. I don't know. That's the thinking. I think they're going to try to play it safe because even look, even yeah. California, Gavin Newsom said June fifteenth. I think that everything opens up, and like California has been the most um, kind of conservative state. in terms of yeah these policies, right? So yep. I, I don't know. I just think it'll be interesting because the finals don't get played until July. Yeah, um, yeah, they're late this year. So like maybe round three and round four, the Clippers or Lakers have some amount of fans in. Yeah, so. Um, so I don't know, man. And, uh, it'll be interesting. Yeah, because yeah, teams have... I mean, look, Texas has been fully open for a long time, but most Texas teams are not playing at full capacity, to my knowledge. So clearly yep. the ownership has t- taken the decision to be a little bit more um, you know, safe than sorry compared to what the state rules are. So I think that's a, it's an important wrinkle because to Nahal's point, like 
there's a reason why the numbers have been so spectacular this season. And it's not necessarily like if you look at the league leading scores, rebounders, assists, et cetera, it's similar to what it normally is, right? Yep. 30 points, maybe 14, 15 rebounds, 11, 10, 11 assists. But the percentages, the true shooting percentage, the efficiency from all over the court has been unreal. Like, you know, Bobby Portis is shooting 48% from three. Um, so yep. I think that must be true when you couple it with what we saw in the bubble, which was also like sort of the empty gym theory. And, you know, I think fans booing you or cheering for you is going to have a major impact because these guys haven't played that brand of basketball since last March. And so you're talking about 15 months since they've played in any environments, you know, even resembling what they might face in the playoffs. Because even now when there's fans, there's a good amount of distance, right? They've built yep. a lot of barriers between the bench and where the first set of fans can sit. And so I think it, if they end up if they end up uh, pulling that back at all, then we're going to see you know players have to reacclimate. Yeah, I mean we saw this in the NFL. Uh, a lot of teams and players said that the moment, even when they got like ten percent fans in there, it felt so loud, just because they were used to complete silence. So I, I think um, obviously the players have been playing with fans now, and so they know what that's like, but. Even doubling from twenty percent to forty percent, I think, has a significant impact. Um, and I don't know who it'll benefit. Like, obviously, a team like Phoenix or Utah is going to benefit more, not only because maybe their states will allow it, but because they're a team with younger guys and they rely on their role players. They're not LeBron. They're not Kawhi, who've been there, done that. So, um, who knows how much that's going to matter? But I think when you talk about all these teams this year, when it's so un like it's unclear who's really going to emerge out of each conference. Something like that could really swing a series. Um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you know, we have two weeks to go. Uh, we're going to do like our year end awards, all NBA MVP, all defense, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, it's, we don't actually get a chance and neither the teams to really prep for who is going to be the playoffs, right? Because that play in tournament starts on the 18th goes until the 21st. And then I believe that the, the playoffs start that weekend. And so that's going to be really interesting. I guess when we do a bit of a playoff preview, we'll just kind of guess based on the lines or on our predictions is who will end up at seven and eight. Yeah. Uh, wait, when is the playoffs again? So May 18th is when the play-in tournament starts, right? The season ends on the 16th. Play-in tournament on the 18th through the 21st. Yeah. So that Friday is going to be like the games, I think, the, the, the sort of the winner of 10-9, loser of 7-8. And then the 22nd is when uh, things kick off, so the very next day. Got it. Yeah. I mean, if what I'm hoping for now, now with the Kings all of a sudden surging out of nowhere, is if we can get that Warriors-Kings 9-10 matchup, in Chase Center, uh, you can bet I'm going to be buying a ticket to that game. I was thinking about that because if the Wizards stay in 10th and the Pacers are in 9th, Indianapolis is a three-hour drive. I will try to – but then it's a Tuesday. <laughs> I mean, uh, you could <laughs> take a day off. I would figure – you know what I would do? I would drive Monday night, stay in a hotel – Work from the hotel Tuesday and then just then go to the game. Go to the night. game and then drive back at night or something. I don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead, but <laughs> but I actually think the way it's trending, we may end up taking over uh, Indianapolis. Wait, why did I say Indianapolis? Taking <laughs> over Indy, Indiana. Yeah. I can't even talk right now. It's too late. <laughs> and then we would be the eight. So we would be the nine, and then we'd end up hosting. And I'm not gonna go to DC. So. Damn, now I kind of want us to stay in 10. If I could go to that game, that'd be <laughs> yeah. fucking tight. That I mean, I don't worry. I think you guys will probably stay in 10, but <laughs> that would be amazing. We won tonight in overtime versus uh Oh, see, they this won. is a classic score, yeah. Yeah, this is like literally if you watch this game, it was Scott Books actively trying to get fired like at halftime and during the game. We pull it out. It looks like he's this great coach. And meanwhile, like the whole thing is a disaster. He made like 17 tactical errors down the stretch. But that's that's what we have to, to look forward to for the next three years when his extension kicks in. Anyway, uh, anything else to add? No, man. I mean, uh, nothing much. But I, I just love this last two-week stretch of the playing game. I just love the playing game. I know we've talked about it ad nauseum. But, like, the Kings versus the Spurs this Friday is like a do-or-die game for them. Because if they win, 
they're one and a half games back. If they lose, they're three and a half games back, right? So all of a sudden, these games matter. They're life and death, um, especially for a team like the Kings, who uh, still haven't made the playoffs in so many years. So The beauty of the play-in tournament, it gives and it takes. Um, and on that note, we're going to come full circle. I want to close with Russell Westbrook's stat line tonight. And this is this couldn't epitomize him more in our conversation about him more. He went five of 19, including <laughs> including one of six from three. Uh, he had 17 rebounds, 17 assists, and seven turnovers. And uh, he had 13 points. So 13, 17, 17 on horrific shooting, a lot of turnovers, and ultimately got the win. So there you have it. Wow. That's a true, true Westbrook. That's Russell Westbrook in prime form. But all right, please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin on all major podcast platforms. Please email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Thick and Thin Hoops. We will talk to you next week.